Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, this morning we are beginning a new series that will take us all the way to the end of the year, a series that we are calling He Shall Be Called, taken from Isaiah 9, 6, which introduces us to a king with four names, a king who had the names Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. And let's just acknowledge from the very beginning of this series that names have meaning. Names have meaning. Even now, there are names that we will hear, and all of a sudden, there will be emotions that will be attached to those names. Names have meaning. When someone has a child, a major undertaking between oftentimes the husband and the wife, or a major battle, is what that name will be called. I've told you this before, but I'm so thankful for a mom who apparently stood the line because my father actually wanted to name me Meshach. I have no idea what he was thinking. I don't know why. I told him oftentimes, Dad, you should have just named me Kick My Butt because that would have happened throughout my whole childhood. But I'm so thankful in that moment for a mom who put her foot down and said, absolutely not. So praise God for that. But names have meaning. When Gabriel visited Mary to foretell the coming of the Messiah. Gabriel said to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Yet Jesus also has other names as well, not literal names, but descriptive names that give us insight into his character, give us insight into his mission upon the earth, and with more than 250 names and titles of Jesus scattered from Genesis to Revelation, Isaiah brings together um, four of them in a very concise package, names for, for Christ that appear nowhere else in the Bible. And this passage that we're about to dissect over the next four weeks has been called the cornerstone and centerpiece of all prophetic prophecy. The great Jerry Vines put it this way, this is the greatest single verse in all of Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest single verse, Isaiah 9, 6, in all of Scripture about the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. So think of the verse this way, every birth announcement that I have ever received has been sent out after the birth of the baby. Yet this one is different because it was sent out before the birth of the baby. In fact, over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, this birth announcement was given. So we're beginning today with the amazing, incredible name, Wonderful Counselor. Jesus is not just a good counselor. He's not just a wise counselor. He is a wonderful counselor because we need a wonderful counselor. In fact, Charles Spurgeon shows us why we need such a wonderful counselor when he says this. How we need Jesus as our counselor. It was by a counselor that this world was ruined. Did not Satan mask himself and the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take unto herself of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the hope that thereby she should be as God? Was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother to rebel against her maker? And did it not as the effects of sin bring death into this world with all its train of woe? 
Ah, beloved, it was meet or necessary that the world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to destroy it. So yes, we were ruined by a counselor, by the enemy, but praise be to God, we can also be redeemed by a counselor. Which reminds us that we need to be redeemed. It reminds us of our need for redemption because we are sinful. In fact, at the core of our sinful hearts is the tendency for us to choose our way or even the ways of others over the ways of God. We seek counsel from anyone or everyone else other than from the wonderful counselor. For you see, sin, and I I hate saying this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Sin makes us or reduces us to fools. Sin reduces us to fools and foolishness. And at the epicenter of that foolishness is the denial or the rejection of God's plans and purposes for us. Before we dive into this verse today, I want to lay the foundation of what we're about to see in Isaiah 9. The the year was 730 B.C. and Ahaz, the king of Judah, was was reigning um, over Jerusalem. But yet he was struggling with the reality that Israel and Syria had come together in an alliance in order to attack Jerusalem. So King Ahaz's first response, just like ours often is, was to scheme. What can I do? What um, decisions can I make? Who can I bring alongside? How can I figure out a way for this to work out in my benefit? And yet in the middle of King Ahaz's scheming, God sent the prophet Isaiah to him to tell him, don't worry, Ahaz, God will be with you as your protector. So Isaiah comes and tells him this, but yet Isaiah could tell that he was still scheming. So Isaiah said, listen, just ask God for a sign for, that he will protect you and God will give you that sign. And you, you think that Ahaz would be excited to say, man, I have a prophet standing before me telling me that God is with me, he's going to protect me, and now I get to ask for a sign. But instead, King Ahaz said, no, I'm good. I don't need a sign. And many, many scholars believe that the reason He didn't want a sign is because if he did ask for a sign and God came through, as God always does come through, then he would have to believe in the power of God, but also he would have to obey God. And Ahaz didn't want any part of that. So instead, Isaiah said, well, listen, you won't ask for a sign, but God will give you a sign anyway. Here's your sign. And the sign was Isaiah 7, 14, which is, um, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Then eight years after this, in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom of Israel would absolutely be attacked, overrun, and crushed by um, the Assyrians. In Israel, loved ones would be brutally killed. Families would be broken up and destroyed. The land that they loved would be absolutely devastated. This once proud nation of Israel would be humiliated and brought to their knees. Yet when we come to Isaiah 9, in the midst of despair, gloom, and darkness, God gives them another word. God gives them another promise that Jesus would be the one born of a virgin, and he would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Through Christ, we have a counselor whose whose wisdom is higher, wider, and deeper than our own. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. In fact, in the Hebrew text, it reads, a wonder of a counselor. 
He's a wonder of a counselor because he gives us wisdom in the midst of our confusion. He gives us peace in the midst of our chaos. He imparts truth in the midst of our wondering mind. He is a wonderful counselor because his counsel brings life and not death. His counsel brings forgiveness and not judgment. Although his words are sometimes painful to us, they are always purposeful for us. They're always beneficial. His words might be painful, but they are always beneficial. So let's dive into Isaiah 9 and behold the majestic king with four names. And if you're able to stand, I'm going to ask you to do so as we honor God's word. We're going to actually read the first six verses of Isaiah 9 just to kind of get the background here. So Isaiah 9, 1 through 6, and it begins this way. But there, were, there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into Contempt, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Jesus, we come before you as all of that to us. Lord, open our hearts wide today to receive unto ourselves all that you are to us. Lord, speak to us during this time. Lord, just, just change us, we pray. Show us today the beauty of the wonderful counselor that we have. Speak, O oh God, for we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And so here's what I know, that Christmas for many of us can be an especially discouraging time of the year. And think about the, the first two verses that we read in the midst of this promise in Isaiah 9. The first two verses proclaim that this time for Israel was a time of gloom, a time of anguish, and a time of darkness. And what I know is that things that make life hard for us often seem more difficult or harder at Christmas time. In our culture, our culture paints this picture of Christmas as being perfection. Everything has to be perfect. Everything has to go exactly the way you intended for it to go. It has to be perfect. It has to be Instagram or Facebook or social media worthy. So regardless of whether you just had the worst day of your life, you got to smile at the camera and make sure nothing or no one sees the brokenness or um, the absolute anguish that's happening within you. And yet, in the midst of all this that has to be perfect, Meanwhile, we struggle with strained relationships. We miss those who were members of our family who are no longer with us, and we grieve for them. We have financial difficulties. We have uncertainties that feel way more pronounced this time of year than any other. A season of imagined celebration makes the hardships that we walk through seem that much more unbearable. And yet during the times of our own gloom, our own despair, our own darkness, we have the promises of Isaiah 9-6. Not that we look forward to the promises like Isaiah did when he gave it, but we are able to look back on the promises that our 
counselor has come. The king with four names has come for us. And some see in this term counselor a picture of royalty or a picture of a king whose job, so the biblical job of a king was many faceted, but one of the jobs of a king was to always give wise counsel to his people. So thank Solomon. But here's what we know. Yet even the wisest counsel, humanly speaking, isn't perfect. So what we need is we need a perfect counselor. Others see the term counselor as presenting a military strategist. So one who always or who is always able to come up with a, the winning, perfect strategy for the battle. The problem is that hasn't always happened throughout history either. But all of that and much more is found in our perfect, gracious, kind, all-knowing, almighty, wonderful counselor whose name is Jesus. All of that encapsulated in him. Or to put it a different way, Michelangelo expressed himself in marble. Rembrandt expressed himself in oils. Handel expressed himself in music. Shakespeare expressed himself in prose and verse. But God expressed himself in flesh. God expressed himself in human flesh in the form of his son. So what I want to do is I want to take the expression of God in Christ as our wonderful counselor. And I want us to unpack together Three truths, and then at the end, three applications for that truth today. So let's dive in. Number one, he is wonderful in his character. So as the wonderful counselor, Jesus is wonderful in his character or in his person, meaning that Jesus is worthy of the name wonderful. And it goes even further than that because he himself is the wonder. Think again about, about Isaiah 9, 6, for to us. Don't miss it. To who? To you, to you a child is born, to you a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. We're looking at that next week. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't miss it, for to us a child is born. That speaks of his humanity. Jesus began life just like every other human in the womb, coming out of the womb as a baby, done unto us, for us, for our good A child was born, or to put it this way, God's answer to everything that has ever or will ever terrorize us, God's answer for that was to give us a child. God's answer to everything that has ever or will ever terrorize us was a baby. And then to us, a son is given. That speaks of his deity. By saying given instead of saying born here, Isaiah is suggesting that Jesus existed before his birth. So he was already God. So meaning Jesus was already the second person of the Trinity before he became Jesus our Savior. There was a time when Jesus, the human, was not. There was never a time where the Son was not. Or in the words of R.G. Lee, Jesus is the only one born with no earthly father but an earthly mother. He had no heavenly mother, but he has a heavenly father. He was older than his mother, and yet he's as old as his father. Boom. Meditate on that a few times and see where it gets you. But the the picture is, listen, he is worthy of his name, Wonderful, because he in himself is all that that name is implies let me say it again for those that aren't following along with us or at home he's wonderful he's wonderful 
I think of the words of Adrian Rogers who says, Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His death is wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His intercession for us is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time that the name of Jesus caused you to marvel? When was the last time the name of Jesus caused you to stand amazed? Have you become apathetic? Have you become unresponsive? Have you become indifferent or unmoved by that name? Do you rejoice in your heart when you hear the name Jesus? Do you rejoice in your heart when you sing the name Jesus? If you don't, let me tell you what it means. It means that you have lost the wonder, and it means that what used to be a heart of flesh that was open to him has become a calloused heart that is closed. Brothers and sisters, don't allow yourself to lose the wonder of him. He is wonderful in his character. Don't allow yourself. Ask God to restore to you the wonder of Jesus. He is wonderful in his character. Secondly, he is wonderful in his counsel. He's wonderful in his counsel and the, the advice or the the wisdom that he gives to us. Isaiah 28, 29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel, excellent in wisdom. The testimony of those who heard Jesus in John 7, 46 was, No one ever spoke like this man. No one. Let me just show you some of the counsel of Jesus just from the Gospel of John. In John 1, Jesus counseled Nathaniel to see him as the latter connecting heaven earth the only way to God in John 3 Jesus counseled Nicodemus that God loved him and loved the world so much that he sent him Jesus to come he gave him and counseled him to see Jesus lifted up in stature lifted up in state so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life In John 4, Jesus counseled the woman at the well to face her past and to trade her shame for his salvation. In John 6, Jesus counseled all who heard him, the crowd who heard him, to come to him, to receive him as the bread of life, even to eat upon him in faith. In John 8, Jesus counseled the woman caught in the very act of adultery to not see herself under condemnation, but instead to go in his power, his strength, and his salvation and sin no more. Also in John 8, Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world and counseled those who heard him to no longer walk in darkness. And then again in John 8, Jesus counseled believing Jews to be set free by the truth when Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John 10.30, Jesus counseled all who heard him to see him for who he is as one with God. In John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So anytime you hear anyone say, Jesus never claimed to be God, they're an idiot who's never read the Bible. Just throwing it out there. They're an idiot who's never read the Bible because all throughout, listen, why would the Jews want to kill Jesus? Why would they want to stone him? Because he claimed to be equal with God. That's why he claims to be one. And then in John 11, after Lazarus had died, Jesus comes to be with Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha comes to Jesus and Martha says, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes her. Then immediately after, here comes Mary. 
And Mary says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't rebuke her. He weeps with her. Here's the deal. Same word spoken by the sisters, but a different response from Jesus. The question becomes, why? Why would Jesus respond to one sister different than the other? And here's the reason. Jesus always gives us the counsel we need, not the counsel we want. Jesus will always tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Because Jesus knows better than you do what you need. And Jesus knows better than I do what I need. And as our wonderful counselor, Jesus is able to bestow wisdom to us because according to 1 Corinthians 1, 30, Jesus has become to us the wisdom of God. Jesus to us is God's wisdom. He is to us the wisdom of God. He is wonderful in his counsel. Hear him. Listen to him. And then third, Jesus is wonderful in his compassion. He's wonderful in his compassion. And I love that the name wonderful counselor comes first because the other names speak of the power of Christ yet this name speaks of the heart of Christ before we see his strength before we see his power we see his compassion I think of the words of Hebrews 4 15 and 16 that says for we do not have a high priest meaning Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted just like we are, yet without sin. And then it says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this because here's what we sometimes don't get. Jesus truly understands us from inside of our experiences. There is no other religion, and I hate calling Christianity a religion, but there's no other religion in the world that says God has suffered, God had to be courageous, that God knows what it's like to be abandoned by his friends, that God knows what it's like to be crushed by injustice, that God knows what it's like to be tortured, and that God knows what it's like to die. But the gospel says that. Jesus clearly shows us that God knows what we go through. When we talk to him, he understands there's nothing that you will ever experience that Jesus hasn't experienced. Jesus will be able to, because of his experience, properly diagnose every problem that we have because he fills them, because he sees them, because he lived them. And he's never going to say, don't miss this, Jesus is never going to say, man, that's tough, Jordan, that you're going through that. Pastor Jordan, that's tough. I, I wish I could relate. Jesus is never going to say that. Listen, you come before Jesus and you say, listen, my body is torn up. I'm in pain in my body. And guess what? Jesus is, is going to say, well, I'll, I also had my skin ripped off my back from the scourge. I know your pain. Or we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm dealing with rejection. And Jesus says, all my friends left me about an hour after they said they wouldn't. And one of them even sold me for a few bucks. Or we come to Jesus during this time of year and we say, Jesus, my heart is breaking because of the loss of a loved one. And Jesus says, the one that I loved and lived in perfect community with, the one who was my source of strength and life, my everything was ripped from me and it was because of you. Yet in spite of that, Jesus is our sympathizing high priest who, hear this, he wants us to come to him. 
Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants your problems. He wants the things that keep you up at night. He wants them. Don't don't miss this. Jesus has made a way for us to come to him. He's promised wisdom for those that do. I love the promise of James 1.5. Don't miss it. If any lacks wisdom, guess what that means? Or guess who that entails? You and me. If any lacks wisdom, which we all do, let him come to me and ask. And I will give to him liberally. That means more than enough. And I will give to him without reproach. Meaning that God will, Jesus will never look at us and go, I can't believe you would ask me for wisdom. I can't believe you would ask such stupid things for me. Jesus will never look at us in reproach. He'll never look at us that way. Yet let me also say this, even as a compassionate counselor, Jesus does not or will not lessen his standards, meaning that we must still come to Jesus on his terms. You have to come to him on his terms. So what are his terms? And let me, let me end and begin, begin the landing picture here with this, how we must approach the wonderful counselor. So how should we approach the wonderful counsel? This is the application here. Whether you realize it or not, you are in need of counsel more than you know. We are in desperately need of his counsel. So how do we come to the wonderful counselor on his terms? You'll see the three three ways here. And this is not exclusive. These, These are just a few. First of all, come to him desperately. Come to Jesus desperately. In Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest meaning we come to him for rest because we are desperate for the rest that only he can give but this is where we need to understand brothers and sisters that we often miss the mark here because in our desperation for help or in our desperation for counsel we don't really understand what we are truly desperate for meaning we cry out to be delivered from bad health when God wants to deliver us from the curse that brought bad health in the first place We cry out to be delivered from injustice and broken relationships when God wants to deliver us from the sin and selfishness that causes those bad relationships. We cry out for the absence of difficulties when God um, allows us to go through those difficulties to conform us more into the image of his son. We cry out for purpose. Even sometimes we claim the promises of God, but we miss that God's ultimate purpose and promise was to give us himself. We must be desperate for him, meaning we must ultimately decide that we want what God wants for us more than what we want for ourselves. Let me say it again for those just missed that. In being desperate for him, you have to ultimately decide that you want what he wants for you more than what you want for yourself. Brothers and sisters, come to him desperately. Secondly, come to him honestly. Come to him honestly. Look at this verse I chose. It's kind of a weird verse. In Matthew, or excuse me, Mark 5, 9, it says, Jesus asked him, meaning a man who was possessed by a demon, what is your name? And he, the demon, replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, what in the world could that verse have anything to do with this or with Christmas at all? And here's what I found amazing. I can't find one place in Scripture where it appears that Satan or demons ever lied in the presence of God or the presence of Christ. Now, Satan himself, he was a liar and the father of all lies. The demons, they lie and lie and lie. Yet, there's not one picture in Scripture where demons or Satan ever lied in the presence of God or Jesus. Why? You don't lie in the presence of truth. 
You don't get to lie in the presence of God. You don't get to make up things in His presence. In His presence, you can only speak honestly. But here's what it led me to believe. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, the demons are more wise than we are. Because we don't always come to Him honestly. We sometimes try to hide things from Him. We have a tendency on our part to keep things, to keep the truth concealed as long as we possibly can. But until we are completely honest with Him and with ourselves, we won't be able to get the help that He has given to us. And I know, I get this. The fear is that I'm just afraid if I'm honest before God, He's going to turn His back on me. And it's like, no, God knows God knows the mess that you're in before you even tell him. And that's why he says, come to me. God knows the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And instead of God saying, I don't want to deal with that mess. God says, bring it to me. Come to me. Just bring it to me. Oh, that we would, in this moment, find ourselves being honest. And honestly coming before the one who is the wonderful one. Come to him honestly. And then third, come to him obediently. Come to him obediently. Here's where we need to never forget that what Jesus asked people to do in the Gospels didn't always make sense. Therefore, what Jesus asked you and me to do here in our lives won't always make sense. Jesus will sometimes, he'll ask us to do things that one, just don't sound right because either what's All we can see is what's in front of us or all we can focus on is the bad that could come if we do this. Or secondly, Jesus will ask us to do things that don't make sense to us because we have a limited understanding. Think about what Jesus asked in John 9 to a man who had been born blind. And it says that Jesus anointed the man's eyes with mud and then said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. All Jesus had to do is say to the guy, See. And the guy would be like, I see. But instead, Jesus says, here's some mud. There's a pool. Go wash yourself. It didn't make sense, but don't miss this. In fact, even write this down. Jesus will sometimes ask people to do wild things so that he might be able to do wonderful things. Jesus will sometimes ask us to do wild things, things that don't make sense, things that we can't wrap our heads around so that he can do wonderful, wonderful things. Do we trust him enough to do what he says? Listen, you can't call Jesus wonderful counselor if you don't listen to him. You can't call Jesus wonderful counselor if you don't listen and embrace his wisdom in obedience. And let me just end this way. Jesus has a pretty good track record. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus has an incredible track record of getting it right. A woman who was delivered from seven demons became one of his closest disciples, Mary Magdalene. A Samaritan woman went from being a serial monogamous, meaning goes from one relationship to another, to another, to another, to another. She went from being a serial monogamous to a missionary in 15 minutes. A coward who betrayed and denied Jesus by the name of Simon became an absolute martyred cornerstone of the message of Christ named Peter. And Jesus' chief persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, became his greatest advocate and apostle. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has a pretty good track record. He gets it right. He knows what he's doing. Our wonderful counselor will never give us bad advice. He will never lead us astray, but we have to trust him enough to obey.
Let me end with the words of Octavius Winslow. and Just hear these words or see these words on the screen. Just hear this. Has your counselor perished? No, this cannot be, for Jesus ever lives as your advocate. Then why yield to despondency or despair? Why succumb to your difficulty and sink beneath your load? Your perplexity is nothing with Christ. What is all dark to you is all light to Him. What to you is an entangled bundle is to Him a perfect mosaic. He can bring you out of all of your difficulties, opening a way for your escape from all your troubles, making the crooked path straight and the rough path smooth. Commit your way to Him. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged today. Our counselor has a name, and his name is Jesus. We can trust him. Go to him. Trust him. Do what he says. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand as we call the musicians forward and enter into this time of application and consecration. But let me just say this again. Listen, Jesus is wonderful. He's wonderful in his character. He's wonderful in his counsel. He's wonderful in his compassion. He's wonderful in every way. We've got to listen to him. We've got to be desperate for him. We've got to realize that apart from him, we can do nothing. We have to come to him honestly. Listen, stop keeping your problems from Jesus and instead bring your problems to him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, carry your cares to yourself and only bring me the good things. No, he says, cast your cares upon me because I care. I care. And come to him obediently. Brothers and sisters, be willing to do whatever it is that you know he's telling you to do. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach you in this moment, we do so. God, just rejoicing in you. Jesus, rejoicing in you as the wonderful counselor. Lord, you are amazing in every way. You're amazing in your character. You're amazing in your absolute counsel, Lord. You never give bad advice. You always lead us to life and never from life. And you always respond to us with compassion. Even when it's discipline, Lord, your word says you love us. You discipline us because you love us. So that you may do something in us and through us. Lord, I pray for those all across this room today and those listening at home. Who in this moment, God, are struggling. Who in this moment, Lord, they're are carrying weights and burdens, God, that you never intended for us to carry. And in the midst of our carrying those weights, we can't say that I'm resting because we have to be constantly moving and carrying. But as we give those things to you, as we trust you with them and trust your counsel, we are able to rest in you. God, I pray all across this room, and I pray all across those who are listening homes, at homes, Father, that you would allow us to trust you with the difficulties of our lives. Trust you, God, with the things that are weighing upon us that we can't carry another step. But Jesus, you are more than able to carry them. For if you can carry the cross, endure the shame, take upon our sin, then you are more than able to handle all the effects of sin that come into our lives. We cast them upon you now. Finish this time today, Lord. Finish this time. In Jesus' name.